one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode three of the Overlap Podcast with me, Gary Neville, and the Manchester United captain, Harry Maguire. Brought to you exclusively by Skybet. Give it a subscribe, a review, a share, only if you like. So, Harry, if you're not aware, I was once sacked by Valencia. Yeah, didn't realise that. <laughs> I used to be annoyed by pundits when I was playing. Does it annoy players in the dressing room? Yeah, I think it does. You play for one of the biggest clubs in the world, there's going to be a million people don't rate you as a footballer. It's all about opinions. Not the first call up for England. Yeah, phone call from Gareth when you get added to the England WhatsApp group. What happens when you're out of the squad? It's like, it's like Maguire has left, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Should be a good memory to reach a World Cup semi-final, but I can't watch it back because it makes me feel disappointed. But why did you turn up with your stuff in bin bags? Jamie Vardy is a big part to play in that. Are we going or are we? Oh, we're going, yeah, we're going, we're going. <laughs> Will you just give us two minutes? Sorry about this. <laughs> On this episode of The Overlap, I sat down with the captain of Manchester United. Harry Maguire has had a remarkable rise through football, from getting relegated with Sheffield United and Hull, to becoming the world's most expensive defender all in the space of just 10 years. We spoke about his early setbacks, the pressures of social media, England and captaining Manchester United. Hi Harry, welcome to the Overlap. We always start at the very beginning. Just talk to us about your young years, your childhood. Yeah, obviously my, my family's a big football family. Two brothers, always kicking each other in the garden. That's where probably my first memories of football came. And then playing for Brumsmere, the Sunday league team. From there I went to Barnsley, where they was going in administration, I think at the time. So I ended up going to Sheffield United and obviously come through there, build my way up and um, keep moving up the ladder and, and, and coming from the bottom to being the captain of Manchester United, which is a, a proud, proud moment. How do you reflect on that journey? You go from Sheffield United, where you get relegated, to the position you're in now as Manchester United captain. It's an hard one to take in. I think I'll probably think about it a lot more when I've, when I've finished. At the moment, with the, with the schedule and the games, it's just play, rest, recover, mentally focus for the next game. You don't really have too much time to, to think about what you've actually achieved and, and, and where you are in the game. People always ask me, how does it feel to be Manchester United captain? And obviously, it's a, it's a huge honour. It actually doesn't sink in. I think it probably will do, maybe when I lift that first trophy. When you go back to those early years, who were the biggest influences on you and why? Yeah, the biggest influence was my dad. We always played football, he always encouraged it. My mum always made sure that we did our own work before we went out and played football. But yeah, I'd say my dad, he's, he's been quite tough with us. After games, he'd always tell us where we need to improve. For example, the Burnley game. I didn't see my dad for a week and then I went and seen him. The first thing that he said is, you got bullied from that corner. <laughs> so he didn't even say hi, he just told me that I got bullied for the corner. So my mum's there saying, great result, well done. But no, he's been stern with me throughout my career, but he's probably helped me and pushed me to where I am now. It reminds me a little bit of my dad and the information that he used to give me in my early days. Has that just kept you grounded? That you know, you're playing for Manchester United, you're captain, you're at the top of your game at this moment in time, but then you go home and your dad's basically giving you a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I think it doesn't matter if I'm playing for Manchester United or playing for Sheffield United or Hull. He hasn't stopped 
telling me that he can head a ball better than me and, and things like that, but probably does keep me grounded. Are there any moments in your childhood that you look back upon now and think they were tough and it was a real struggle to get through those moments? I can remember one of my first training sessions with the first team at Sheffield United. I don't want to name the manager because I don't want to put Go him on. under the bus. No. <laughs> um, I thought I trained really, really well. The reserve team manager there at the time was Mark Smith and he was brilliant with me, yeah. big coach for me. And he, I come off and he was like, oh, you was brilliant there, well done. And then as I was walking down, the, the manager came up to me and went, you wasn't good enough there. If you don't quicken your feet up, you'll never play first-team football. Wow. So it was... Inspirational stuff, eh? Yeah, it was a knockback at that time. I think I must have been 16, 17. So I actually didn't tell anyone about it. I didn't tell my, my, my dad, which probably should have back in the day, but I just got on with it, did extra work on my footwork, it probably pushed me to be where I am today. When did you get offered your first professional contract at Sheffield United? I was good for the youth team. We got to the youth cup final against Manchester United, whose team was ridiculous back then. I think I got a one-year pro, but then straight away in that one-year pro, I, I started to play, so I think things developed from there. And that youth cup you talk about, you got injured, didn't you? I actually got knocked out in the, in the second leg. We drew the first leg and then the second leg, I went up for an header and I got knocked out with um, Ravel Morrison. I went straight to hospital. I was there for a few hours and then the follow I think it was about three days later I received a shirt from Manchester United so no that was really touchy I've still got the shirt and a really really classy moment and I think it shows the classic club as well. You're obviously someone who's resilient and you're tough and you can obviously take criticism I mean your first experience at Sheffield United was to go in I think as an 18 year old at the end of a season where you got relegated I mean what, what must that have been like? When I went into the to the team in the championship I went in for I think for the last four or five games and we was pretty much down when we went in but I made mistakes I, I can remember games when I was 18, 19, a centre-back playing in League One making mistakes and to be fair this is where I give great credit to the manager Danny Wilson a lot of managers probably would have said have a little rest this week we'll bring some experience in but every game you just play me and play me and play me and I say it's a big part of where I am now. What mistakes were you making at that sort of age and you know, what type of mistakes would you have been making? The main mistakes I feel at that sort of age is concentration. I can remember playing a couple of short back passes to the keeper where you're just taking it for granted that you're just going to play it back and the concentration isn't there or the positioning. But I had a great manager who had great faith in me. There wasn't many players playing at my age in, in League One at centre-half and, and playing week in, week out, and that's a big, big credit to Danny. In terms of concentration, it's the word that I think, well, one of the words that Sir Alex Ferguson used most with us as defenders. I always used to think, well, how do I improve my concentration? I used to say it to myself during games, concentrate, concentrate. I don't know what you do. How have you improved your concentration over the years? Yeah, I think it comes with experience, but I think, like you say, it's hard to improve. And it's funny that you did say about that, Sir Alex, because I seen him a couple of weeks ago and I was with Luke Shaw and we were speaking to him about it and he was asking Luke about how well he's progressed this season and he said, the main thing what's progressed for you is concentration. And then he, as he were leaving, he, he left, he said bye. And then he turned around and, and went to me and Luke, he went, concentration, and walked off. I bet you've heard that a lot in your time. Yeah, I mean, the words he would use would be concentration and consistency. Yeah. You know, all the time to sort of become consistent. And you are consistent. I mean, that's something that ultimately, now you're so reliable for club and for country. And you've developed a brilliant partnership with Luke Shaw. Just talk to us a little bit about that in terms of the last six to eight months because he's been in the best form that he's ever been at Manchester United and I think you're at the highest level as well. Is it a case of both of you needing each other on that side? 
Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like my, my relationship with my left back throughout my career, I've always had a good one. I, I built a really good one with Ben Chilwell at Leicester. I had a good one with Andy Robertson at, at Hull. So I've been decent left backs, know, haven't you? Yeah. I've been fortunate <laughs> to play with some great left backs. Um, for me, the three now, on the, all three of them, how they developed, I, I see them as a top three in the Premier League. And I always say, as a, as a defender, if my centre back's playing well, and the left-back's playing well, it's more or less impossible for me not to be playing well. So you, you come as a partnership. So if Luke's doing well, there must be parts of my game which is doing well as well. So Luke's belief, confidence, he has all the ability in the world, but I think the gaffer's got to take a lot of credit for what he's done to Luke and made him believe that he should be playing and he can go on to be one of the best left-backs around. You named, I think, your centre-back heroes as being John Terry and Rio Ferdinand. Can you just talk to us a little bit about what inspirations you gained from them? Yeah, I'd say really those two were the ones at the top of the tree when I was growing up watching the Premier League the most for, for a central defender. I, I love watching them both. I think if you morph them into, into one player, they'd be the greatest ever of all time. Obviously, Rio's ability to step out, I think he really introduced that to the game of defending. I think when Rio was doing it, I think there wasn't many defenders out there who was stepping out and driving out and committing players. So I think it's, he's had a big part of the evolution of centre-backs in, in terms of that and obviously JT leadership and his ability as well on the ball and the ability to defend and want to defend. I think they're just two great, great players and obviously playing for England and I watched a lot of England games growing up. And then going forward to sort of your first game for England, it, it, was, it became a big story at the time that you turned up with your, <laughs> with your bin bags. It's quite a clever move really, it portrays for me normality. But why did you turn up with, <laughs> with your stuff in bin bags? Well, Jamie Vardy's a big, big part to play in that. <laughs> I asked Vardy what he was going to bring his boots in, and he said a bin bag. So I put them all in the bin bag, turned up. My mum te uh, me, rang me about an hour later, why are you turning up with bin bags? But for me, I wasn't used to the media spotlight. I wasn't used to the attention. I didn't think anything of it. I just got up, passed my boots and, and moved on. I didn't feel the pressures of a World Cup, as daft as it sounds. Should be a good memory, but I can't watch it back because it makes me feel disappointed. The first tournament I played in was Euro 96 and Stuart Pearce said, this could be as good as it gets. You play for one of the biggest clubs in the world, there's going to be a million people who don't rate you as a footballer. So tell us about the first call-up for England and how you found out about it. Yeah, the first call-up, obviously, it was, a, it was a shock. The phone call from Gareth, was it? Yeah, phone call from Gareth and you get added to the England WhatsApp group. What happens when you're out of the squad? Is it like, like Maguire has left, is it? Is it <laughs> <laughs> that's, you don't want that, do you? I think they might create a new group every time. <laughs> In terms of the manager, what's your relationship like with Gareth and how is he to work under? Yeah, Gareth's been brilliant with myself. I think every game I've been available, I've started. So for him, again, to show that belief, the confidence, the trust is massive for myself. Is he hard on you? Is he hard on the players? Or what's his management style like? Yeah, he can be hard. It's a bit like Ollie in terms of that. I think he knows when to be hard or when to not be hard. He has Steve Holland with him as well. It can be hard in, in the training room at half-time and before games. But I think Gareth is... He makes the belief and, and the confidence within the group and, and the lads, and obviously the tactical side of it is, is second to none as well. So, no, he's, he's been brilliant with myself. And you're playing a few games for England, and all of a sudden you're thrust into a World Cup, the biggest tournament in the world. How did you cope with that? Yeah, it was one competitive game, a few friendlies, and then find myself playing in the biggest tournament in the world. I look back and I think it probably helped me. I didn't feel the pressures of a World Cup, as daft as it sounds. 
I didn't put that much pressure on myself to, to make sure that I went and performed to, to the highest level. I was there on merit, I knew that, but I went there and enjoyed it. What was the expectation as a player? Was it quarters, think if we get there we'll have done well? Well, I think we had a really bad running knockouts game, so I felt like the Columbia game was massive for us. We should have really won it in normal time. And then to reach the quarter-final and, and we get Sweden and then all of a sudden we, we believe that we can go and win this. I look back at Croatia and I still feel disappointed. Should be a good memory to reach a World Cup semi-final, but I can't really watch it back because it, it makes me feel disappointed. What are you disappointed about? The result. At the stage of the game, I can remember the feeling at half-time and that's probably where we went wrong. We, we probably felt like we was nearly there. We played really well in the first half. We, we probably should have been more than one goal ahead. And I think you, you see in the second half, we didn't manage to keep the ball. We, didn't, we probably didn't have that experience of playing in these big games and these big tournaments to see out the semi-final and reach the final. So I look back at it as disappointing just because I do feel like we could have done that a little bit more. I mean, I, I said at the end of my career that England was my biggest disappointment because I got to two or three quarter-finals and a semi-final. And I look back and think, what more could I have done in those moments in the second half where there were times where I, my legs went a little bit tired and felt like we couldn't get out and we were sort of set back. I think this team that you're playing in now is far better possession-wise than we were. Did you feel that, though, in that second half that you were getting pushed back and there was, you couldn't get out? Was, was that a feeling you experienced? Yeah, definitely. I watched one of your Monday Night Footballs with Carras and you, you were speaking about the possession of the game. I looked at the stats, I think it was 56% for Croatia. You probably thought they had, they had a little bit more than that. I'm sure the first half we must have had maybe more of the ball, it might have been even. But I think a big thing is fear. I think, you know, as a defender, when you've got to play on the front foot, you've got to play aggressive, and as soon as you don't and you come off it, in these big games, you get found out, and I feel like that's what happened in the second half. I felt like we played with a little bit too much fear. We, we were so scared of conceding the goal and not making it through that it actually punished us in the end. I remember the first tournament I played in was Euro 96, and Stuart Pearce said to me after the semi-final, this could be as good as it gets. And I remember my first comment after the semi-final against Croatia, I just hope those lads have the opportunity to be in that position again and grab it. Do you feel that you're good enough to do that this summer? That obviously, a few weeks' time, you're going to be playing in well, Euro 2021 now. Yeah, I feel like the squad is more experienced. We have more leadership in the squad. A lot of players playing in big games regularly. You've seen, obviously, the, the Liverpool winning the Champions League, the Manchester City lads doing really well this season, and the experience of playing in these big games. But these international games, they, they decided on big moments. It's an exciting time to, to be an England, England fan, but we still got a lot of improvement to do. How often each day did you spend on set plays? I know I said before about the things that we didn't get right. We didn't get the set plays right, I don't think. Now, how much time do you spend on set plays? A lot. <laughs> we do long meetings, then we go on the grass and work on them. But you can't argue with the numbers. Our, our numbers with England, attacking set plays and first contacts, has been really well. It's, it's, a, it's a huge part of the game, especially in these big, big games, I think when you see France win the World Cup, and I think a lot of their first goals was, I can remember Varane scoring a great header, so a lot of their first goals, but then at the end of it, when they're lifting it, everyone's going on about how good of a passing team they are, but that's what decides games, it's, it's these big moments. In terms of the preparation for this tournament, do you hold set plays back? I mean, the love train hadn't, it wasn't really seen, was it, before the tournament? Are you almost like holding things back so that you don't declare your hand before the tournament? No, I think for sure there'll be ideas definitely saved back. I don't know what they've got up the sleeve, <laughs> but I'm sure will be a threat. Just talk to us about some of the characters that are in the England squad that you're playing with now and the scandalous 
levels of talent that some of them have. Someone like a Phil Foden, for example. Yeah, I think the, the talent of these younger players, I think it's, it's great for English football. The technical ability is something which people probably wouldn't say that we've been blessed with over um, the years, but the, the technical ability you've got, you've, you've Phil's, Jack Grealish, Madison, Mason Mount, you could go on and name them all, Jude Bellingham. You can really see what they bring to training in, in the possession, you can't get the ball off them. What does playing for England mean to you? Playing for England means everything. So proud, big honour. When I grew up, I've, I grew up watching all England games. I, every time I used to put my shirt on, watch the games with my family, uh, we didn't miss one. I've actually been to the Euros as a fan and watched them live and, and seen the passion and, and the atmosphere and the celebration. So, yeah, it means absolutely everything to me. I think that's something that yeah, I grew up as a Manchester United fan, never been to an England game in my life, so I was always felt Manchester United. But I think when I watch you play for England, the England fans love you and it comes across that you are a fan. Do you get that? That's unusual for a Manchester United captain to actually liked by England fans, but you actually are. Yeah, I probably am. I probably, since I've joined Manchester United, probably a little bit less. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to Pep up as soon as I heard the interest from Manchester United. I knew I wanted to play for that club. Manchester United captain's a massive position. We've got to be winning Premier League titles. Second isn't good enough. There was a report that you had called a meeting with the rest of the players. I actually spoke to the FIFA president as well. I want to help improve this game. So you're at Leicester and you're subject of massive speculation for probably around 12 months and you were, I suppose in some ways, made to stay at Leicester one more year. Were you happy with that? At the time, my age, I always felt like I owed Leicester a lot. I spoke to Vichai and he said to me, we've obviously had a lot of interest from Manchester United when Jose was the manager and he said, give me one more year and I'll let you go. So I didn't really push anything. I obviously as soon as I had the interest from Manchester United, it, it was something that I knew I, I had my heart set on that and I knew I wanted to, to play for that club. But at the age where I was, I think I was maybe 25 years old, I always knew that I had time on my hands and I think Vichai stuck to his word and obviously the, the move happened. Did you speak to Jose around that time in terms of what his plans were for you at United? Yeah, I spoke to Jose. spoke to him be, before the semi-final of the World Cup, so that, that again gave me great confidence what he's won, the defenders that he's worked with. I have great respect for Jose and what he's done for the game. What did he say? No, I think the, the, main, the majority of the topic was just that he, he sees me as playing centre-back for, for Manchester United and he felt like he could improve my game a lot. So I obviously didn't get to work with him, but like I say, I have great respect for him. So 12 months later, throw it forward and you're the subject of a, I suppose, a bidding war between Manchester United and Manchester City and it seems like publicly you've got a choice to make. Is that right? Yeah, they was, they was both interested. Spoke to Manchester City and I spoke to Manchester United, but I must say I've grew up watching Manchester United teams. No disrespect to Manchester City, but I've grew up watching a lot more of Manchester United football, Old Trafford, the iconic of being one of the biggest clubs in the world, if not the biggest. So I, I always had my heart set on this club. And I mean, were you not enticed a little bit by the sort of playing football for Pep Guardiola? Did you speak to him? Yeah, I, I spoke to Pep and um, obviously the, the football that they play and, and what he's done for the club. Great respect for Pep and the, the game and the evolution of, of what he's brought to football. But like I said, it was, it was Manchester United. My heart was set from the, the amount of interest that they've shown in me. Again, gave me great confidence and belief. But for them to pursue it over 
I think probably a 12, 15 months period of time just shows how much they believed in me and how much they felt like I would be a, a big part of the team. I mean, Jose started the chase and then Oli picked up the job. What were his first words to you? The first time I spoke with Oli, he just told me how much he feels like I could come in and, and, and improve the team. It was a time where, as a club at Manchester United, it wasn't where it needed to be. On the field, for sure, they were struggling, conceding a lot of goals defensively. and. I knew that I wasn't going to be the final part of the jigsaw, so I knew I was going to sign for Manchester United for uh, obviously a huge fee. And I knew there was going to be at times where we'd concede goals, we'd lose games and scrutiny would come and the way I'd have to handle it. Because I knew I couldn't go into that team and all of a sudden win the league by five points. It, it just wasn't possible. I had to go into the team and, and make sure that we improved and improved each year and we're doing that. But like I say, we've still got a long way to go. Did the price tag, I mean, I, I, when I was at United and playing, I can think of moments where there were massive price tags paid for players. You know, when Rio came at the time, it was 30-odd million, it was massive. When you know Wayne Rooney came, it was huge. But as the players that were in the club looking at them, I used to think there was a massive expectation from the other players thinking, he better be good. Did you feel that expectation when you went in, just because of the enormity of the price tag? I mean, 80 million quid is an incredible amount of money. Yeah, obviously it's a huge amount of money. I must say, when I did sign, I was in a good place. I was in a good place with my game and, and the confidence within myself and the belief within myself. So I had great confidence that I could go into Manchester United and play and improve the defence. I think it was a good time in my career. I didn't go at a young age. I didn't go without bad experience, without failure, without relegations. And I obviously learned and played in these big games at the World Cup, which obviously was a, a big part of it as well. But. I think, yeah, of course, when you, you get bought for that amount of money, I put the pressure on myself to make sure that I go and, and perform and, and, and be selected week in, week out. Was there a moment in your first few months there where you thought, this is a lot different, this is a lot bigger? I spoke to a lot of people before I joined. I'm really close with Johnny Evans, so he obviously filled me with, with the pressures and the mentality of being a Manchester United player. Of course, I felt the difference from Hull to Leicester to, to Manchester United. It, it's, it's enormous. So I probably built it up to myself that to, to expect what I expected, but yeah, for sure, it does it you even still, how much it is and the fan base and the incredible support that we have and how passionate they are about the game and then social media as well. That just Do you look at the it. tweets? Well, when I first joined, I probably looked at it too much. I think now I, I do my account, but I don't really read the comments. Obviously, sometimes you come across comments and things like that, but. I think it's something that we can look into as, as developing football and developing the hatred on social media. I think we can improve on that, definitely. I have to say that I lost my confidence for about eight months badly around 2000 for um, newspaper comments. I made two big mistakes in a tournament. I stopped reading the newspapers after that. But for you lads now, you know, your phone's always with you, you're on social media, you, you just no escape. Yeah, I'd say that's probably one of the toughest things. I feel myself, I handle it quite well. I don't really read too much into it. You play for one of the biggest clubs in the world, there's going to be a million people are going to get on your back and don't rate you as a footballer. It's all about opinions. The main opinion is the manager. You've just got to think of it that way. But yeah, social media, I think it's, it's hard to get away from it. I think the manager's always telling us to stay off it, don't read it, don't let it knock your confidence. Because like you say, it's, it's not nice when you're reading negative things. Obviously, you're one of the leaders in the dressing room now, you're the captain. Do you look at other players in the team and sort of advise them around how to handle it? You know, young players coming through like Mason Greenwood and lads like that. 
Yeah, definitely. I think I give them my view, I give them my opinions, I give them my experiences. I think for younger players, it's probably at the start, it's all nice and you, you break through and you're scoring goals. But all of a sudden, if you have a couple of bad games, that's what happens when you play for this club. You've got to learn to deal with it. But I think to, to play at the, the top and play at one of the biggest clubs in the world, you, you've got to expect that. When did Oli first speak to you about captaincy? It come really quick. Ashley was there at the time and although I was only there for a few months, I, I learned a lot from the way he handled himself around the place and the demands that he put on other players in training. He was really competitive, he demanded the training to be hard, competitive. So I learned a lot from, from Ash. And then obviously he, got, he gets his move and he, he goes to Inter Milan and the gaffer really just pulled me and just said he, he sees me as the one that can take it forward. It's such a proud moment for myself to be named Manchester United captain, it's a huge honour. Lots of improvement to be made, myself, on the pitch, off the pitch. And as a team as well, that's probably the, the biggest thing I feel now. It's, it's more about as a team than my individual self because if I'm playing well, then I'm helping the team and, and, and the main focus is winning trophies. Can you just tell us a little bit about how that journey's changed from you first getting the armband? I'm interested in it because I don't think I changed that much from when I got the armband to beyond, but have you changed? Have you had to develop? We've got no crowd in and we can hear you giving it a little bit now <laughs> during the matches. You know, have you actually developed over the last 18 months and how have you developed in terms of your leadership style? Yeah, I'd say one thing that I've always brought to a team is demands. I demand a lot players who I play with. If people tell me to, to improve on something or shout at me in the game, it doesn't get to me. It, it's obviously, some players you, you need to put their arm around them, but I demand a lot from my players. I demand a lot from, from Luke at left back. I expect him to be one of the best players on the pitch every game because of his attributes. So I think from when I first got it to now, I probably got a little bit more confidence in the changing room. You're probably hearing a little bit more, like you say, with no fans and the relationship I've got with, with the manager and the staff probably built up better and we can probably trust each other more. How does the Manchester United captain deal with the shock that was the European Super League? It must have been as tough as it gets, obviously dealing with all the fallout. Yeah, it's been a tough, tough period. As a player, we didn't know much about it. I say didn't know much, we didn't know anything about it. We play a game, we come off, and obviously that's where we, we find out, so everyone's a bit confused. What, when did you first hear about it? Obviously, it broke during the Burnley game. I mean, what, is it, what, on the television after the game, in the dressing room, or...? Yeah, I think someone put the TV on, and I think it was yourself, <laughs> yourself on the TV. Yeah, that, that's the first time we heard about it. Um, it, was a, it was a shock to, to us as it was. And what's the general sort of reaction in the dressing room of the players initially? Anger, disappointment, stunned? I think, yeah, I think surprised is the, is the main one. At the time, we didn't know the details of it. We just heard that it was going to happen. It was a big surprise. It, it seemed like it was just done and that was it. I think it's all come to, to, to the right decision now and I think we've got to move on from it. There was a report that you had called a meeting with the rest of the players and that you were gathering people together and I saw Luke Shaw had made a quote in the afternoon and Marcus Rashford put a post out and you've put a post out. Do you feel proud about how you and the players have handled it? I can see how difficult this would be for you. your employer, your club, you're loyal yet you know something's not right. I remember in 2000, we had a strike situation whereby the club were furious with the players, but we were going to go on strike because the PFA were losing their money. But we had to do it because it was right and wrong. Is it the first time that you've been in that situation where you felt that torn a little bit between what is doing the right thing, which is here, but sometimes obviously you know, your loyalty to your club is obviously incredibly important, but you, know, you players seem to rise up a little bit. 
Yeah, definitely. I'm really proud of the players, the way that they've handled it. I think it's been hard because we didn't know what was going on, really. So for us to make a decision on things or to, to speak about it, we actually had a couple of days off when it broke, so we couldn't have the meeting, but we spoke on Zoom. But yeah, I think it's really important. The loyalty to the club, we respect the badge. That's, that's the most important thing for us as players. And you organise the Zoom calls? Yeah, we, we made sure that we all spoke on Zoom and we have a leadership group as well, not just myself. So there's a lot of leaders in our dressing room. And like I say, I think it's, it's time to move on. We, as a, as a group of players, feel like the, the right thing has been done. In terms of yourself and your stand and your Manchester United captain, I can see that you're growing on the pitch, you know, week in, week out, and your performances are, are, are getting better. Is it something that you sort of now see that responsibility to do different things? You know, are you in contact with the PFA? Are you in contact with the organisations with the sort of role that you now have? Yeah, I'm in contact with the PFA. I actually spoke to, to, to the FIFA president as well on email, which was really nice. I want to help improve this game. I want to help develop football. I want to help develop grassroots. What does an email to the FIFA president look like? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite nice. He got in touch first and emailed myself. So no, it was, it was nice. Obviously, I, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but to be held in that regard and to see what he's doing and trying to develop football is really interesting too. And what's the idea behind it to try and involve football players in terms of restructuring the game and, and, and obviously consulting with the players, which they haven't been obviously over this Super League proposal? Yeah, I think it's really important that we get input from everyone. It might only be mean 1%. It might change their mind on a tiny, tiny decision. But if that decision is right, everyone should have that little bit of a say and, and we come up with the best solution. So, Harry, if you're not aware, I was once sacked by Valencia. Yeah. Didn't realise that. <laughs> I used to be annoyed by pundits when I was playing. Does it annoy players in the dressing room? Yeah, I think it does. Are we going or are we... Oh, we're going, no, we're going, we're going. Will you just give us two minutes? Sorry about this. <laughs> Where are you at on VAR? Scrap it, keep it, adapt it? Definitely keep it. Adapt it, definitely. What are the players saying in the dressing room? What's the frustrations I, that you I have? I think it's so mixed. I think you could speak to... 20 lads, I think some would say keep it, some would say scrap it. I'm one for keeping it. I don't know if you've ever been done in a big game in, in the past through a bad decision. I don't think I'd be able to live with that now, having, to, having played with VAR. I can remember a goal that we conceded to Arsenal early on in VAR stage and Aubameyang scored it and he was onside by about three yards and they give offside. So for goals like that, can we do something with the line? Can we make the attacking line maybe double width to, to get rid of that margin for error? Penalties, I do feel like, should only be given for really, really clear and obvious. I don't like, maybe it's something where you can go on the referee's decision for penalties, because I still see penalties, people agreeing, people not agreeing. But for sure, I, I think we need to keep it, but I think we need to adapt it and, and, and keep it involved in the game. Where, where were you at with regards to the Scott McTominay incident under the Tottenham when I was commentating on the game? And I must admit, I've got lost now to the point where I don't know whether it's actually a foul or not a foul anymore. Yeah, I think, personally, in situations like that, I think we need to know if that's a foul because I still don't know if it... Has anyone ever... Has anyone come out and said whether it was a foul or...? Because no. For me, I look at that and I don't see that as a foul, but is that a law that that is a foul? Can you not touch someone's face? So I think maybe be a little bit open with it and, and come out and say, we got that one wrong, whether it takes a day or a few hours later and say, look, we was wrong on that, that wasn't a foul because I still, I still don't know whether it was a foul or not in the laws of the game. You're second at the moment in the Premier League. It looks like you're going to finish second this season. How close, not in points terms, but how close do you feel like you are 
to winning a title at the club? Well, I think we're improving. From last season to this season, we're, we're definitely improving. We've actually been on a good run ourselves, and I think the run that Manchester City has been on just been incredible. You've got to give them credit. They broke away with, I don't know, I think it was 20-odd games on the, on the bounds, which we actually didn't fall too bad. We, we did drop some silly points in silly games, and we know we can do better in some games and be a little bit more ruthless in, in others. And really have great belief in the bigger games that we can go and win that game. But the main thing is improvement. We, we, we've got to be winning Premier League's titles. Second isn't good enough. And I'm, I'm sure the lads all agree on that. So, Harry, if you're not aware, I was once sacked by Valencia. Yeah, <laughs> didn't realise that. <laughs> and I was sent this quote a week after, and I've had it on my iPad ever since, which is, failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. Who sent you that? This lad that I know, because I was getting absolutely battered at the time, and I just thought, he's right. You know, it doesn't stick around. So basically, this section is a little bit around dealing with vulnerabilities, moments in your life where you doubted things. So, what would you describe as the low point in your career? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The lowest point in my career, the way I felt, is probably the World Cup semi-final. Although it was such a great journey. I have so much regret about that game. My family and friends was in the stand, the, the atmosphere, and but just the game, and I'd say that's the low point in, in terms of the feeling after the game because I really believe that we had enough to, to, to reach that final, for sure. Have you ever lost your confidence where you've doubted yourself? Yeah, I'd say my toughest period was when I was at Hull. I signed for Hull from Sheffield United and we was in the Europa League so Steve was there at the time and he built up a massive squad I think we had like 26 players he brought a lot of players in he was like we need to obviously Europa League we need to stay in the Premier League so it's massive that we we have this big squad the first qualifying round of the Europa League we get knocked out uh, so we don't actually be in the Europa League and then we're sat there with I think I can remember playing five aside on a Saturday when the match day's on and we've got 10 players not in the squad and I found myself to be one of those a lot of the time. So I'd say that was my, my lowest point. I was regretting maybe, and what was it the right move for me? Should have I gone to the Championship rather than the Premier League from League One? But like I said, I went out on loan in, and played in the Championship with Wigan for, for a couple of months, and then that built my confidence back up. How do you deal with losing confidence? I, I, what, what was it that would bring you out of it? I think positivity, positivity around you your family, your friends. Confidence is such a big part of football. 
it's so big for, for yourself, for the team in general. But yeah, I think the positivity is, is the main thing to come out of it. And then for sure, it's, it's, it's getting your head down and working hard and improving and building that confidence back. If you're not playing on a Saturday, the only way you can build it back is to be the best player in training and, and push yourself to make yourself better. Have you ever stood in the tunnel and thought, I don't feel right today? Yeah, there's probably times in, in my career where you're not as confident, you're probably a little bit more worried than you should be about the opposition. I always used to think about the opposition more than I do now. When I was younger, I probably worried a little bit too much about who I was playing against. Even in League One, I was studying the, the strikers and what foot they was and whether they were quick or good in the air. And Yeah, there's, there's been times where I've stood in the tunnel and I'm thinking, a bit worried about this today, but you've got to find a way through it. And, and you do that from, from working hard on the training pitch and making sure you're ready to go into the games. When I, I lost my confidence at 24th United and I actually went to see a psychologist, and at the time there was a massive stigma associated with going and seeing a psychologist, so I never spoke about it for, well, probably to the end of my career, and I did a book. Have you ever been to see a psychologist? And if so, how do they help you? And obviously, everyone's a lot more aware now of support, of mental health. You know, have you ever been to see someone to support you? No, I haven't seen a psychologist. I think, like you say, the, the stigma around it is, is, is wrong, really, because when you play for a club like Manchester United, it, it should be there. It should be there for support. I think a lot of psychologists now aren't just psychologists. They're involved in the football club, they know the football side of it. You don't see someone going to see him and think, oh, what problems he got? I mean, it could be a general chat about anything. We had one at England, Mitch, who I've spoke to him after my, my, my summer and, and the disappointment of the, of the summer that I had. and. Yeah, I feel like they should be there and they should be part of the game. You make a mistake, you're obviously, you know, you're accountable, you're responsible, you're somebody who you can tell would analyse your own game, but you make a mistake, you give a goal away. How do you deal with that? What's your coping mechanism in the game, but then how do you deal with it after a game? In the game, you need to regain focus and, and, and do your best not to worry about what's being said or what's going to be said. It's hard, that, isn't it? That's the hardest part, I would say. I'm going to be fault at goals. I play central defender. I've played over 50 odd games each year. There's going to be goals where I can do better. I know that. And there's going to be times where there's going to be under, under, under scrutiny the defence and where we can improve. But you've just got to regain focus, especially in the game. For me, in the game, you've got to regain focus, regain concentration, make sure your next thing's done positive. And I think also talking as well. Talking on the pitch helps you regain that focus. Do you talk to yourself? Do you, do you say things to yourself to try and help you get over it? Yeah, I think you, you come on, concentrate, get going again. It's always going through your mind. You, you, 90 minutes sometimes can go by like that when it's all good and happy and everything's. But when, you, when you're having a bad time and you're maybe losing 1 2 0 and the defence is getting ran daft, and it's a time where you need to stand up. What are you like at night when you go home and you have made a mistake or you've lost a game? Yeah, it's, it's hard to switch off from it. I try my best to switch off from it. I think it's helped with my, my, my two kids now, uh, both one and two. So the last two years, I'd probably say it's a little bit easier because I wake up in the morning and they're there and you can have some good times with them. And obviously it puts a smile back on your face, but football means everything. I think people, whenever I get asked, what's, what's your biggest phobia? My, my biggest phobia is probably failure. I'd probably say a lot of footballers probably would say the same. We've probably all got that same mentality of, we just want to do well, we want to perform well, but we know, we know that we're going to be at fault for goals. We know that you're going to make a mistake, but you've just got to react in a positive way. I used to be annoyed by pundits when I was playing. Does it annoy players in the dressing room still? It must do. Yeah, I think it does. 
I'm not going to sit here and lie. But I think you've got to come to an agreement that it's, it's opinions, everyone has an opinion, but of course everyone wants to hear people speak about them doing well and everything's nice, but, but that's not life, that's not football, you've got to accept that. Do you think it affects players? I think it can change confidence in players. You do? Yeah, especially the ones that listen to it more than others because you're a big part of the game now. You analyse things. <laughs> Every goal that we concede, you analyse. But yeah, I think it does. I think it can affect confidence, but only what I would say is that you don't just speak negative about players, you also speak positive. So I think as a footballer, you've got to expect that. So Harry, to finish with on the Oval app, every guest gets a gift. And it's interesting, you talked about Sir Alex Ferguson. So I called him up a couple of days ago and asked him to pen you a little letter that you could keep as a memento for the rest oh, of your you. life. So there you that. go. You can have a little open of that. Let's have an open. That's something I'll keep and have a good read through when I get home. Absolutely. Special Perfect. Gift Thank you. Right, so Harry, we... oh, you're having a little practice. No, I just want to. He's look... gone off. <laughs> Right, so Harry, every guest on the Oval app has to do a challenge, and yours, Harry, is a putting challenge. It's sudden death. Let's go, let's go. Are you going first? Are we going or are we going? Oh, we're going, no, we're going, we're going. We're going. Yeah, don't worry about that, we're going. I'll go first. Yeah. I don't think these two coming down will be too happy with us, but don't worry. <laughs> go on, go on. Are we going, yeah? Yeah, we're going. That's mm. got to come round, hasn't it? <laughs> not bad. You've got the line now. Yeah, it's not bad. Oh, he's good. Bobble, stop. Go on. Oh, good. Go on. It's not hard enough. Sure. Will you just give us two minutes? Sorry. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm further away. You to go first. Yeah, yeah? I'm further away. I'm going to have the flag out. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't leave it short again. Can I have that? Yeah, you can have that. Oh my god. If I bottle this now. Right, we'll have to go again and really annoy him. Are we gonna let him We'll let him go through. We'll let him go through. Right. Oh, there's no one coming down here. We've got loads of time. Loads of time. We might need it to be fair. Come on, and you can leave. go first this right, time. Right, here we go. You all right there? I'm just getting your line. <laughs> That's not hard enough either. How soft's that? It's embarrassing. Oh! <sighs> Oh, it is. What would you play off? Seven, I suppose. Yeah, seven. Play a lot then. Yeah. Try. Right. I'm gonna keep the flag in. Come on. Oh, that's a rocket. Oh my god. Oh, so, so, I think I'm gonna touch, play touch, up here. It's the touch of Gary Neville. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. It wasn't great. 
<laughs> I took that for granted so bad. Right, come on you. Oh no, I'm gonna lose this. I'm gonna lose this. I missed this. Europa League final, penalty. Down the middle. Oh, well done, well you done. win. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. What's the forfeit? I'm not allowed to criticise you for the next six <laughs> months on telly. You've got a pardon, a pundit pardon. I'll take that. <laughs>